guys doing? How are you guys? <laughs> All right. Uh, I believe I have a word for you today. Um, I'm pretty sure you guys see me around. If you guys have been joining Emmaus for the past few weeks or the month, or if you've been coming out to New Philly, Hongdae Omega, uh, and I'm sure you know that I'm Kate, you know that I do stuff around the church, I serve here at Emmaus, but I'm pretty sure most of you don't know my story. You guys kind of don't know like what, what my background is, or where I'm from, or what I did before I started ministry. And so I want to start today's word by giving you a little bit of an introduction to myself, okay? So, thank you. Yes, thank you. Somebody's excited to get to know me. Okay, good. Um, my name is Kate, but that's actually not my legal name. I was very insecure when I gave myself that name. My actual name is Chihe, uh, which means wisdom in Korean. I was born in Korea. So, I was born in Korea. Okay, yes, Susie, calm down. I was... I was born in Korea, and then my parents, my dad wanted to study and pursue a higher degree in education, and so me, my mom, and my dad, we left, and we went to the United States, and we went to a place called Michigan. It was a really boring place, but we were in Michigan, so I left a little over, uh, uh, when I was a little over one year old, and I stayed there until I was 10. So I spent my childhood in Michigan, and then I came back to Korea. Now, what I remember vividly about um, the United States, even though I was pretty young, I was associated as the Asian girl. Okay, I was associated as the Korean girl in the neighborhood. We were like a, a fairly international neighborhood, I would say. Uh, I knew that across the street lived Shiho and Daiki, who were the Japanese kids, right? And then uh, downstairs, there were two families that were international. There was Rafat, who was from Pakistan, and then there was also Maria and Diego, and they were the Venezuelan kids, okay? And so I was a Korean girl, right? And that was how I grew up. Now, when I was 10, I had to come back to Korea because my dad finished his, you know, degree, his PhD. And so my grandmother was like, oh my God, can you guys please come back to Korea? And so my whole family flew back to Korea. But imagine growing up in the States, I kind of identified myself as somebody who was more of like, you know, a part of the U.S. I had to come to Korea and I was completely thrown off by the Korean public school system. So my family's not that rich, and so they couldn't send me to an international school, which cost so much money. And so I had to go to a regular Korean public school. Now, this was like back in... Okay, I'm about to reveal my age here, but this is back in like 95. So this was when Korea was not as nice as it was today. So the schools were pretty ghetto, okay? Everything was kind of falling apart. You know, it was like wood everywhere and dust everywhere. <laughs> and it was it was, it was, was really... Um, yeah, I, I, I went from like nice marble floor schools to like this really... Um, I don't know, the school that was kind of like, you know kind of shoved like in, 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 on a hill of a mountain. I had to climb up every single day to get to school. And the bathroom was not like nice. It was one of those squatters. And I'm like, ugh. And I had to go from a classroom of 20 to 25 kids where the teacher knew all the students and were, you know, had a relationship with the students to a classroom of 45 to 50 students. I didn't even know half the people in my class. It was a huge culture shock. And I also remember that, you know, at the end of class, everybody just got up and they pushed all their desks to the back and they started taking out all these brooms and mops and stuff. And they started like sweeping everywhere and dusting everything. I'm like, where's your janitor? Like, I completely was thrown off by this culture shock. And I was like, oh my God. Now in Korea, I was identified as the girl that came from America. 
I was like, oh, yeah, she's from America. She speaks really good English. She can't really speak Korean that well. So I was identified as the American girl, okay? Sometimes in good ways, sometimes not so much. They would tease me about that as well. But I'm not going to get into that. But anyways, slowly I adjusted. I adjusted. And um, by the time I hit middle school, I feel like I completely adjusted to the Korean school system. I was no longer crying or complaining about my parents bringing me to Korea from the U.S. Um, and in middle school and high school was a time where I studied really hard. So if my elementary school period was like an adjustment period, I had to, you know, kind of learn Korean. I had to get adjusted to the culture. Uh, I was finally now at a level where I could understand and completely comprehend everything that was happening in class. And I realized I ain't so dumb. And so I started getting good grades. And my mom was like, okay, my God, that's so good. Keep studying. And like any other Korean school student, I ended up studying my butt off day and night. Luckily, uh, I, I, I was able to get straight A's throughout middle school and high school. And so I was identified as that girl. Like, you know, oh, oh yeah, she, she studies really well. Oh, she's going to go to med school. Oh, she's going to go to law school. Or some, I don't know, something like that. I was praised by my teachers. My parents were so proud of me. And that was how I was identified. Now, to keep a straight A grade in Korea... This is what my daily schedule kind of looked like. I slept around at 2 a.m. every day, and I had to wake up at 6 a.m. because there's a 7 a.m. class at school. And so I wake up at 6 a.m. and barely get some breakfast in my face because I'm like half asleep. I don't even know how I'm eating. And I get to school, and then from 7 a.m. until I would say about 4 p.m., I'm at school, class after class after class after class. And then after 4 a.m., there are some days where the schools require you to stay there until 11 p.m. And then I'll have to stay, and I'll be seated on my desk just studying away. If I'm not at school, then where am I? I'm at Hagwons, just like any other student here in Korea. So that was pretty much my life. So uh, we're all pressured to get into a really good university. Uh, I made it to Hongik University. Yeah, Yerbang. Okay. <laughs> She's another fellow Hongik student. Uh, I, I, I studied uh, architectural design. Uh, for some of you who might not know, that's actually a pretty big deal in Korea. I don't know what they're like these days, but back when I went in, it was like, oh, it's like the top tier students got into uh, Hongik School of Architecture. It's like the top I, I, okay, I'll brag a little bit. Like top 2% of the nation went in. And so I made it there. And I was like, yes, I finally made it to like a good school. I feel like I, you know, met my parents' expectations, my teachers' expectations. Okay, now I just kind of want to relax and enjoy some of my freedom. So what I did was I went out drinking and I, I partied really crazy. And knowing the environment of Hongdae, it was just everywhere. I was just surrounded by alcohol all the time. Now, I didn't just drink. I wanted to be the best at drinking. And so what I would do is I wouldn't just be like, oh, hey, here's a beer. It's like, oh, my God, we're going to drink until we drop, right? And so I would go out from 6 p.m., and then I wouldn't go back home until the sun came up. And so I was known to be that girl who drinks like a whale. I was known to be the girl. You know, I was actually really surprised because some of the students that came like three, four years after me in my same department, I would meet them and they'd be like, oh my gosh, we heard about you. We know who you are. You're the girl that drinks. You're the sombe that drinks. And I'm like, oh Lord, what have I got myself into? Even the professors knew how much I love to drink. That's kind of crazy. But anyways, I had a reputation for drinking. And because of all my partying, it's no surprise I barely graduated university, right? Uh, I, w I didn't really keep up with my good grades when I got into uni. And so um, 
I, I kind of had to make a compromise with my professors. I was like, I'm never stepping foot into the architecture field if you let me graduate because I just want my diploma and get out of here, right? And I was already working in radio by then. I had some kind of cool connection with one of my professors who was a radio show host. And so she was like, why don't you be my writer? And I was like, I'd be happy to, right? And so I was already working. And, and so my professors were like, okay, fine. We'll just let you graduate if you finish your uh, graduation piece and if you do like a thesis paper, and which I did. Now, this is when my parting life kind of kicked off to another level. Uh, I, because I was earning money, right, I get to go to the good parties. I don't have to no longer wait around for Wednesdays and Thursdays where it's free for students or free for, you know, girls or something like that. I don't, do they still have those things? Okay. Oh my, okay. We know who's been partying. All right. Yeah, so I, so me and my girlfriends, we would go out. There was a group of four, including me. It was like four of us. We would always go out every Thursday night, Friday night, and Saturday night. Sometimes Sunday night, but Sunday night is not really like a parting night. And so we were known as like the socialites among the Kyopo or like the Korean American community. So we knew all the party promoters. We knew all the club owners. So we never had to pay for a ticket in, to get into a club. We never had to wait in line. We would always get VIP bracelets slapped onto us because they know that where we go, the party goes. And so people would know like, oh my God, Emma, Eunice. Oh my God, I'm name dropping. Oh, oh my God. Oh, they, Kate and the girls are going to this party. It's going to be fun, right? And so <laughs> that's what I was known for. I was known for, like, the party girl. And then somewhere down the road, my, my friends all left. They were all from Seattle, so they all went back to Seattle. And then I was kind of left alone, and I got tired of hearing, like, oh, don't you miss the girls? And I'm like, hey, I can party by myself, too. But it was in that place where a friend, in, uh, I encountered, like, a real uh, close childhood friend. Uh, I hadn't spoken with her in a long time and then you know she was reaching out to me like oh how's life you know are you going to church these days i'm like yeah i don't know but through a conversation with her i actually went back to church and i met with jesus my life radically changed after then and i began serving in the youth group so i began serving in the youth because i had such a heart to want want to you know, reach out to the youth, the next generation, and be like, hey, you guys, I thought I, you know, was living this wretched life, but, you know, God gave me this new life, and I just wanted to reach out to them, just proclaim God's love, and just how amazing, you know, uh, life is with Christ, and so, in during that time while I was serving in the youth group, I was known as Kate Sem, okay, so it's, it's Sem is kind of like a short term for a sunseng name or teacher and so they call me kate sam kate sam kate sam and there were some students that are now adults they graduated from high school and they're all adults and uh some of them came to new philly it was kind of weird some of them saw me and they're like oh kate sam oh no i mean uh kate no nah, uh kate like what do we call you and so there's kind of like an identity stuff right there anyways after that i felt like the lord was calling me to full-time ministry and so i responded to that uh, full-time call, and I uh, got accepted to be an intern pastor at New Philadelphia Church. So now I'm known as the intern pastor of New Philadelphia, or intern pastor for Hongdae Omega. I also serve on the worship team, and so I'm also known as a keyboardist or worship leader. I'm pretty sure you guys get the gist now. I've been identifying like all these names that I people have called me by, or when they look at me, they associate me with a certain title, or they associate me with a certain name. And for however many years, I've been labeled so many things, from the Korean girl to the American girl, which is kind of really weird, right? And then like you know, pastor, whatever you know, something name. 
I've been identified by all these names, but do they really all sum up to who I am? Do they really show who I am as a being? So today I want to ask you, I want to ask you this question, who are you? Who are you? Okay. Why don't you guys turn to your neighbor and ask, who are you? Okay. Okay. Wow. That was really weak. Okay. Then turn to your other neighbor and say, no, really, who are you? Okay. So let's turn to our Bibles and uh, look to the book of Genesis. Okay. If you have your Bible, please take out your Bibles and took, uh, uh, open it up to the book of Genesis. It's the first book of the Bible, so it's really easy to find, right? And go to chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. We're going to read from verse 22 to 28. Yes, chapter 32, verses 22 to 28. All right, I'll read it for you. You guys can just follow along. I'll be reading in the ESV. So the same night he arose, he meaning Jacob, arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Amen. That's word of God. So I'm pretty sure you guys are very familiar with this passage, right? Uh, whether you grew up in the church or not, you would have heard something along the lines of this story about this guy named Jacob. So I'll do a quick recap just in case if there's somebody who doesn't know the story of Jacob. Now, Jacob is the son of Isaac. Um, there, there was first Abraham. God reached out to a guy named Abraham and was like, hey, Abraham, I want to bless you. And through you, I'm going to build a mighty nation. And that's what he did. And through Abraham came Isaac. That was the first, son, not, not his first son, but that was a son that came from Abraham. And then after that was Jacob. Now, Jacob had a brother. His name was Esau. And when Jacob was born, he wasn't just born in a natural way. He was actually born really interestingly because his brother Esau was born first and Jacob was grabbing onto Esau's heel. And that's why they named him Jacob, which means heel grabber. So that's why he was named Jacob, okay? And now, according to the Jewish culture, when you're born, when you're the firstborn son of the household, that means that you get the double portion inheritance. That means that you get a blessing. You get a very special blessing for being the firstborn. So imagine Jacob. He's grabbing onto this heel. He's just like seconds or minutes away from getting this amazing blessing, but he doesn't, and he ends up being the second son. So, uh, uh, you know, Isaac, his dad, favors the first son, and then the mom, Rebecca, actually favors Jacob. 
And so later on, what Jewish families do is when their father, father is about to pass away, they officially bless the first son saying, Hey, I bless you with this double portion of my inheritance. And, you know, I bless you for all the nations. And they, they, they say this prayer or this saying of blessing upon them. And that's what they do. And so it was almost time for Isaac to die. And so he says, Oh my God, I gotta bless Esau before I pass away. And so what he tells Esau is, Esau, why don't you go out and you hunt? By the way, Esau is a red hairy man. That's what his name means. It's really weird. It's like he's hairy and he hunts really well. He's like really buff, like this scruffy guy. While uh, Jacob was really quiet and he's just kind of like with his mom. He's kind of like a mama's boy, right? And so Isaac asked Esau, hey, can you go and make, uh, catch some, uh, yeah, catch some animals for me and then make me my favorite stew. And then I'll be ready to bless you. And so Esau goes out. But when Rebecca hears about this, she's like, oh my God, I want my other son, Jacob, to be blessed. And so together what they devise up is they, they decide to um, trick Isaac, who was blind at this time, into thinking that Jacob is Esau so that Jacob can receive the firstborn child's blessing. And so what they do is they use like animal skin and then they cover Jacob up, okay? And they cover Jacob up so that he kind of feels like Esau because Esau's a really hairy man, right? Isaac can't see. So he's just like feeling around and being like, oh, Esau, is that you? You got lots of hair? Okay, good, you're Esau. That's how he distinguished between Jacob and Esau, right? And so Jacob went in with all this hair pretending to be Esau and he receives the blessing. Ooh. Now, Jacob, he receives this blessing. And then later, what happens is Esau gets super angry. He's like, how dare you take my portion, what was meant for me. And so he's like, I'm going to kill you. I know in, in, if you're fighting with your siblings and you say, I'm going to kill you, it might not seem like a big deal. But back then, they could literally kill you and get away with it. And so what Jacob had to do is he had to run away. So his mom, Rebecca, said, Jacob, why don't you go to where my brother is, which is in, in Haran, in, in, in the land of Canaan. And he says, go to my uncle. Uh, no, go to my brother, which is Jacob's uncle, Laban, and why don't you work under him? And then maybe after a few years, your brother's going to calm down and he's not going to kill you, okay? And so Jacob, ends up going to uh, Laban and work under him. And then later he ends up marrying both of their daughters because Laban tricked uh, Jacob into marrying his first daughter who was not so favorable, whereas Jacob really wanted to marry the second daughter who was Rachel. Uh, So he ends up being kind of like under a slave contract to Laban for 21 years just so that he could marry both of his daughters. And finally, after many, many years, the long story very short, he ends up leaving Laban and go, he's like, okay, it's time for me to go home. I think I can go home now because I feel like my brother is not going to be angry anymore. Now, here's an interesting, interesting thing about Jacob. He's born with a name that has nothing to do with what he technically did out of his consciousness. It's not out of his conscious choice that he was given this name, but simply because of the state that he was born, he was given this name heel grabber. Now, Jewish names are very important. It's not just any name that we give, okay? Like, I don't know, like Kylie, Kylie Jenner gave her daughter the name Stormy. I'm like, what kind of a name is that? Um, but, but back in the Jewish culture, they would give names to their children that would speak destiny or certain desires or some kind of praise to God over their children. And so we see names like Abram 
which means high, high father or like the top father. Or, you know, we see names like Sarai, which means princess. Or we see names like Manasseh, which is Joseph's son. It means God has made me forget all my sufferings. It's such a good name, right? Oh, Manasseh. So every time they look at their son and they call their son Manasseh, they're like, oh, they remind themselves, God has let me forget uh, you know, all my sufferings. Or their second son, Ephraim, it means God has made me fruitful in the midst of my suffering. It's such a good name. And they would give their children these names so that they would remind themselves of God's goodness. They would remind themselves, this is the destiny of this house. Or they would have very special meanings behind this name. But look at Jacob. He's given this name called Heel Grabber. Heel Grabber. Out of all the names that they could give him, simply because of the state that he was born in. And it doesn't only mean heel grabber, it actually also means deceiver. It actually means schemer, which is exactly what Jacob did, right? He totally schemed to get his brother's blessing. So I don't think many of you would like that if you were ever named something like heel grabber, right? If anybody calls you Jacob or anybody calls you by your name, you're always going to constantly be reminded of that state that you are in. You're always going to be constantly reminded of, yeah, I was the heel grabber. I was the second born. I was the one that was not chosen to be blessed with a double portion of inheritance. I was the one that barely made it but didn't. He's going to be a constant reminder of who he is. So that is probably why Jacob decided to take matter into his own hands. Now, if you look into scripture very carefully, Rebecca is actually the one who says, Jacob, why don't you do this? But you got to remind yourself that Jacob at that time was age 76. So I don't think it was necessarily his mom's influence, but it was actually Jacob. He decided to take matter into his own hands. And so he goes along with his mom's plan and he faked his identity to get the blessing that wasn't meant for him. Maybe blessing is kind of a vague word for us. Maybe when we think of blessing, we think of, oh, financial stuff and all these things like that, right? But how about if I replace the word blessing to something a little bit more relatable? How about I replace it with something like affirmation? Or how about I replace it with the word acceptance? Because that's essentially what it means to be blessed as a firstborn child. It means they're affirming that you are the one who is blessed. You are the one who is chosen for this family. You are the one who is accepted as a firstborn child. You're precious. You're worthy. And that's what it all meant together. If you look at the blessing prayer that he pours upon Jacob, thinking that he was Esau, it's a blessing of, man, you are going through you, multiple generations are going to be blessed. It's, it, it's, such a, it's such a high worthy position to be in. But what does Jacob do? He puts on fur. He puts on fur and around his arms and around his neck, covering basically covering every smooth spot just so that he could pretend to be someone that he is not. Does that kind of sound like somebody? Right? He puts up a front. He puts up a different label that is not who he is. Now, back to my story. I studied really hard, right? I studied really hard to get straight A's. So what I was known for was a straight A student. Uh, and that was something that was kind of covering, oh my God, what if I don't be accepted? I, I was afraid that I would not be accepted if I didn't get straight A's. I was afraid I would be rejected by my parents' approval, by my teachers, by my peers, if I didn't get straight A's. So what did I do? I put up that front. I studied really hard to get straight A's, and so that would be what I would put in front of me and say, hey, this is who I am. This is who I am, not whatever is behind the straight A's, right? 
I would party really hard because I wanted to be accepted. I wanted to be known and affirmed by certain friends that were around me at that time because I wanted them to think that I'm a fun person, not some boring, lame, old, plain Jane who's not fun to hang out with. I think if we're really honest, uh, possibly some of our Instagram feeds might speak for itself. It might actually be a different kind of a persona than who we actually really are. So Jacob did all of this to get this blessing, but what happens at the other end of it? He ends up not getting the blessing, or it doesn't really turn out the way that he expected it to. He expected to receive the blessing and be happy, or there must have been some kind of an expectation that made him want this blessing really bad, enough to fake this identity of his so that he could receive that blessing. But on the other side of it was he had to run away from home. He had to go under slave, working like a slave for his uncle because he ran away from home. We try to come up with these fronts, or we try to come up with these labels that might give us some kind of an acceptance or an approval, only to see that it doesn't really always work out the way we expected them to. So I studied really hard and I got good grades, but, 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 you know, I, I, I eventually I couldn't keep it up, right? What happened when I went into college? I burned out and I couldn't study any longer. I couldn't get those same grade A's, right? I partied really hard and I feel loved by my friends at the time. We thought we were, you know, like we're ride or die. We're, we're never going to be apart. We're going to party all the time. And then what happened? They all left. And it didn't turn out the way that I accepted them too. Uh, another part of my story that I kind of left out was I also, during, during my partying time, I also slept around a lot. I, I slept with a lot of guys. I dated a lot of guys. And the reason why I did that was because I loved in the moment that I was feeling pursued. I loved that I was being loved, the feeling of being loved, right? And I would put up this front of like, oh, this very desirable person so that they would pursue me. But at the end of it, I would realize that it wasn't really love. So all these things where I thought there would be this blessing or this acceptance or this approval or some kind of an affirmation it never really ended up being there. Now, fast forward to the story, back to the story of Jacob. Jacob, later, he ends up going home. He, 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 he slaves away for 21 years under his uncle, and he's like, okay, fine, I think I need to go home now because I've been slaving away. This is not the blessing that I thought I would have been receiving when I received that blessing from my father, and I think I need to go home. I think by now my brother is not going to be angry at me anymore. He's probably not going to try to kill me, or maybe I can test and see if he's still angry. And so what Jacob does is on his way home, he sends a messenger and he says, hey, check out my brother and see how he's doing. See if he's still angry with me. And so he sends his messenger and the messenger comes back and say, "Um, yeah, your bro's actually coming to see you right now and he's bringing 400 men with him. And so he's like, oh, shoot, right? I said, uh-oh. Jacob is... He's panicking now. Okay, what do I do? I got to make sure that my brother doesn't feel... So he's scheming again. He's scheming again. And he's like, okay, I got to send all these things. So what he does is he sends... He had like mistresses too. And so he sends his mistresses and then he sends certain properties like his camels and goats and, and things that were like of worth and like wealth. He would send them all to his brother as like a peace offering. He'd be like, hey, bro, like why don't you just take this and just don't be angry at me anymore, Okay. 
But even then, they, he still hears that Esau's coming. And so he even hides behind all of his wives and his children, which is very cowardly. But that's what he does. And he sends them off to Esau. He's like, okay, Esau, you know what? Just take everything that I have. Just take everything that I have and just, I, 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 I'm, I, I'm okay just being here, right? And so we began at today's message saying that what he sent his two wives and his two mistresses and all these things to Esau. And he is left alone. That Jacob is left alone. What this means is that Jacob is finally at the end of his schemes. Jacob is finally at the end of his rope. He tried everything that he could to find acceptance and approval. He tried everything to give himself a name or a label for himself to find out that he can no longer hide who he truly is, which is Jacob. He's finally alone and he's about to face Esau. What does that mean when he's facing Esau? That means that he tried to be Esau to receive the blessing. When he's facing Esau, that's just going to reveal that he's not. It's just going to show that he is Jacob, this heel grabber or this schemer, this deceiver. And suddenly out of the blue, this man shows up. Many scholars say he's God or like the angel of the Lord. And so this man shows up and begins wrestling with Jacob. And Jacob is wrestling back with him. And he's like, oh, my God, they're wrestling and they're wrestling and they're wrestling throughout the entire night. And just as about the sun is about to come up, this guy says, hey, let go of me. Because the sun is about to come up. And Jacob's like, no, I'm not going to let you go. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. Until you give me the acceptance that I need. Until you give me the affirmation that I need. I am not going to let you go. And then this man was like, eat. And he touches his hip socket. And his hip socket falls off. Now, I don't know if you guys had your shoulder dislocated before. Has anybody had that experience before? Yes, uh, Rebecca. It's extremely painful it's extremely painful to the point where you can't lift your arm it's it's really really painful so i can't imagine just how much pain a person could be when their hip socket falls out okay but even in the midst of his hip socket falling out he's still wrestling with this guy saying no i want you to bless me i want you to affirm me i want you to show me the acceptance that i need and i desire Then something really interesting happens. Because after all of this commotion, this guy asked this random question. He said, what's your name? What's your name? Essentially, what is this guy saying? He's saying, who are you? Who are you? And then Jacob answers, I, my name is Jacob. He's no longer hiding behind the fur. He's no longer pretending to be an Esau. He's no longer pretending to be anybody else. But he finally admits to himself that he is Jacob. What is he saying to this guy? He's saying, I'm a heel grabber. I am a deceiver. And I am a schemer. He's saying that I'm broken. He's saying that I'm not meant for this blessing. I'm not worthy of this blessing. I'm imperfect. And I've run out of all options. That is who I am. That's what he says. I'm Jacob. I can really relate to the story of Jacob. Because, as I mentioned before, after sleeping around so much, I felt so spent. I felt so unworthy of love anymore. After I, I, I drank as much as I could, my health deteriorated. 
After partying so much, I was finally left alone. Like all my girls left, all my partying friends left. They moved on with their lives and I was left alone. And it was in this place I was really confronted who I was. Finally, all these things, all these things that I associated myself with, whether that was a party girl or whether that was a drinker or whether that was the girl that you know, wanted to be loved, whatever label that I thought I had for myself, I no longer had. And I was finally in a place where I was alone and I was confronted, who am I? If these things don't define me, then who am I? And it was in that place I realized who I really was. And I was a person who was broken, who desired to be loved. I realized I was a person who was not perfect. I realized that I had all these labels that I didn't want to associate myself with, just as Jacob didn't want to associate himself as a heel grabber. I was left in a place where I, 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 I couldn't help but notice I was completely lost and all these things that I had built up for myself was gone and I think it's that it was in that place that the Lord actually encountered me it was in that place that the Lord encountered me and when I first encountered the Lord the first thing that I recognized was man I am such a sinner I am so broken I am so not worthy to be loved because I've done all these things. That was the first mindset that I had. But after wrestling with him, after kind of confronting God or seeing him face to face and wrestling with all these questions of like, then then who am I? Or, man, I want to be loved. God, give me some love. Give me the affirmation that I need. Give Give me the acceptance that I need. God finally says, okay, I'll give you a new name. And that's what he does exactly to Jacob. He says, okay, let me go. I'll give you a new name. And your name is no longer Jacob, but your name is actually Israel. I'm going to call you Israel. Now what Israel means is one who strived with God or one who wrestled with God, one who perseveres with God, but it also means that you triumph with God. It means that he wrestled with God and, and, and God could not win, which is kind of technically not possible. But that's how deeply he wanted to pursue God and, and, and was like, I'm not going to let go until you give me this blessing, until you tell me who I am. Essentially, that's what he's saying. And that's when, in that moment, God gives Jacob this new identity, this title that will be forever remembered to the generations to come. Which is why the Israelites are called the Israelites, because they were born from that bloodline. God blessed them with this new name and this new identity. He's basically declaring, Jacob, you're no longer be associated with a schemer and this person who is a heel grabber. You are going to be one who triumphs with God. Isn't that amazing? I feel like Every day as we live, we just kind of lose sight of who we really are. And we try our best to come up with these ideas or come up with these plans to better ourselves, to improve ourselves, to give ourselves a different kind of a title that might give us worth. But in the end, in the end, the only thing that is worth is the name that God calls you by. He doesn't look at Jacob. He actually sees Jacob and looks to Israel. 
So when he looks at you, he's not looking for like, oh, imperfections. He's not looking at somebody who's unworthy. He's like, you know what? I'm going to give you a new name now. Before you might have thought that you were not worthy of love, but I'm going to give you a name. You are loved. Before you thought that you had to slave away your entire life, but I'm going to give you a new name and your new name is you are free. Before you thought that you had to be under oppression, you had to live under the rule of this world, but I'm going to give you a new name. No, you are an heir to the throne, that you are of royalty, that you have a kingdom inheritance for you that I have set aside. God calls us all by these names. Why? Because Jesus was the one who came and shed his blood for us. I know I kind of jumped to it, but it's just I'm running out of time. Jesus is the one who came and washed all these blemishes away so that when God calls us, he doesn't call us by our old name. He calls us by our new name. He calls us by a new identity. And that is the identity that defies us. That is the identity that it defies us for eternity. And it's not something that is done because of what we did, but it's all because of who God is. It's all built upon God. And God, who is he? He's the one who never changes. He's the one who is the only one that we can trust, the only one that is firm. Like we can't, there, there's no way that God would ever change. And that's the God, that's the God, the very God who calls us by this name. And I absolutely love that down the road, we think that, okay, so we meet God, we're given this new identity. We meet God and we are given this new name that we can live by. But what if we don't feel like we met God? What if I still feel like I haven't came face to face with this God? Then am I still just Jacob? Am I still just a heel grabber or a schemer? Now, the interesting thing about this passage is that if you look at the next two verses, it says that Jacob actually asked the guy his name. He said, hey, man, like, what's your name then? You ask me my name, then what is yours? And the guy says, I can't tell you. And in that name, maybe the name might be not be revealed to Jacob. But then later down the road, it is actually revealed when it comes to the story of Moses. Because when Moses is in front of the burning bush and he asks, who are you? The God answers, I am that I am. I'm God. I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Not Israel, the God of Jacob. What does that say? It says that God, even though we might still feel like we're Jacob's, even though that we still might be in a place where we're Jacob's, he's still God over us. He's still God over all of those imperfections and all our insecurities and all these labels that we feel like we're associated with that God wants to break us free from. He's still God over all of it. He still sees it and he still chooses to be your God. He still chooses you. So I want us to close our eyes and kind of pray. We're going to pray for uh, God to give us a new name today. I feel like um, uh, we sometimes associate ourselves with different identities that we strive to be. Yeah. Strive to be. And sometimes it's hard to believe that God has already given us this new identity. Or sometimes God, when he sees us, he sees us by this new name.
So I want us to just kind of fo- close our eyes and just kind of focus our gaze on God and just ask God, God, is there a Jacob within me? Do I still see myself as a Jacob? Is there areas in my life where I feel like I'm not worthy of blessing? Do I still feel like I, I fall short of love or affirmation or acceptance? And I want us to just bring that before the Lord today. I want us to bring our Jacobs before God. For some of you, it might be a certain title that you're associated with that you never really expected or wanted simply because you were born into it. For some of you, it might be because of something that someone has been calling you this name for many, many years and saying that you're not really desirable, that you're not worthy. Maybe sometimes you look to yourself and you continue to think that you're not good enough. That's why you need to strive to become something that you're not. And I just want to say, like, it's okay because God sees it all. And there's nothing that he doesn't know. Once you kind of brought that before the Lord, just kind of confess to him in your own words, God, this is who I see when I look in the mirror. I feel like I'm still a Jacob. This area of my life, I, I, I can't seem to walk away from this name. I can't seem to walk away from this title. I can't seem to identify myself other than this type of person. And I want us to just lay it before the Lord. Say, God, this is who I see. This is who I see. And I want you to ask God, give me a new name today. Give me a new name. Don't call me Jacob, but call me Israel. Give me a new name to go by.